Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 143 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 10th, 2010. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a ton of questions after USC's very close, although Coach Carvey Hyde likes to call it a blowout win over Arizona State, 34-33 at the Coliseum last Saturday night, late Saturday night. If you have any questions or comments, and we do have a lot of them this week, like I said, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or you can give us a call 206-888-6755 call and leave a voicemail and we can play your voicemail on the air listen to your name listen to what you have to say and we can answer your question but as always we are joined by the coach harvey hyde in the first segment he was over there in the coliseum staying up a little past his bedtime coach what's going on well, I tell you what, I've been celebrating all week, but I better not celebrate too long because we've got a tough game down at U.S. Uh, down at Arizona. And but I tell you, you you were kidding about it, a blowout, and, and and I really do. Whenever you get a W, you know I used to love to win ugly, whether it's ugly or whatever. When you get that W, you got to enjoy it. So many people are trying to get a W, and it, and when you get that W, you got to really celebrate it. And I'll tell you. It's amazing how well and good everybody feels after you get that W and enjoy the whole week. It's easier to do radio shows. It's easier to get your paper in the morning. It's easier to go to work the next day. It just gives you a great feeling when your team wins. So uh, congratulations to Trojans because it was time they won a close football game. They played hard the entire game against a team I thought was pretty good offensively. I really do believe that. We can talk a little about that, too, the offense versus the defenses in college football today if you want to. But congratulations to the Trojan football team and staff. They played hard. They never quit. And if you keep doing that, you'll win a close football game. And they did that this past Saturday. They certainly did, Coach. Well, I just want to thank our sponsor for the segment. Before we get rolling, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com. Go to that website if you want to get some tickets for sporting events. We've got the Lakers back now. Clippers, I don't know, maybe they'll show some signs of life with Blake Griffin over there. 1-800-888-7287 is the phone number, or like I said, SCTickets.com. And USC's got a big home game left against Notre Dame. So if you want to get some good tickets for that, you can go to SCTickets.com. And Coach, before we got a bunch of questions, I wanted to get to all of them. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk to you a little about the running back situation. Since during the offseason, you've talked about the offensive line and the running backs a little bit as well. And maybe kind of share your thoughts on where the running backs are right now. Because it seems to be kind of a, a different solution each and every week. It is. And it's puzzling to me in a way. You know, when uh, Baxter started the game, Dylan Baxter started the game, I was somewhat surprised. I really was. I, I I didn't know if something was wrong with Bradford or Tyler, if they were hurt or what was going on, but he started the game against a game that against a team that really had the number one rush defense in the conference. So normally you want a bigger back that can pound them and break them down and and respect the run a little bit and then play action pass and so on off it. But they started Baxter and and uh, he had a good game, but he doesn't have the experience I think that Tyler has and Bradford has and so on and. 
later on in the game, uh, when Tyler came in the game, it just ignited the offense. It just ignited it. It was a different offense with Tyler in the game. Not that Baxter can't play, but I think he's got to wait his turn. When you've got Bradford and you've got uh, uh, Tyler, I mean, these are big-time explosive backs that are going to play on Sunday. And uh, when I saw Tyler come in the game and explode like he did, they were a different offensive football team. If you let Tyler touch the football 25 to 30 times a game and you saw him catch that swing pass for a touchdown, absolutely fantastic the way he caught that ball and ran it in. A guy like that with his speed and size is going to wear down the secondary. After a while, they're not going to be pounding you so hard. They're going to be tired and beat up and hurt. And they're going to say, here he comes again. And eventually he's going to break one or two or maybe three long runs because he punishes you so much. And he's got such speed and strength that I, I, I was very uh, not happy. Well, what do you want to say? I was sad to see that when he got hurt. I didn't know what had happened to him or so on. It looks as though he had an ankle sprain in some type and left the game. And, and I didn't see Bradford come in the game. And then I couldn't understand what was going on here. So I read this week in the paper, and, and you know, I, I don't read, believe everything I read in the paper, but I read in the paper this week that Bradford had fumbled the ball, and they weren't going to play him because of that. And it sort of, I sort of started to think, wow, here's a guy that's paid his dues. Here's a guy that's rushed for you know, 100 yards, 200 yards in a game this year. Here's a guy that's a great kid and so on and paid the price. And, and I'm not trying to second-guess the coaches, but what I'm saying, because you make a mistake, and it really wasn't a fumble. They didn't get the ball. It was overruled. The play was dead and so on. That you don't play him again? I mean, wow. I mean, it, it seems to me like that means every, the pressure that's on a ball carry is unbelievable. And, of course, you know, everyone makes a mistake. Barkley throws two interceptions. Uh, people miss tackles. Uh, people miss field goals. Uh, people don't drop passes. I mean, you know, you go on, you get a holding call and so on. You know, everybody sometimes makes a mistake and so on. And to bench him and not play him, to me, was a, a decision that I, I just don't know where that came from or why or so on. He had to have been hurt. He had to have been hurt. Because if he wasn't, he certainly has hurt feelings. And he certainly is, is, a, is a gentleman about the way he handles himself because he's a guy that deserves to be in the game. And if you fumble the football, you never fumble the football on purpose. And uh, a lot of people make mistakes, and uh, uh, I just thought that that was very surprising to me. And I don't want to continually dwell on this, but when Tyler was in the game, they were a different offense. I think that's a statement I want to make. Yeah, they were. And uh, we talked to Mark Tyler after practice yesterday. He said if they had, you know, he would like to practice today, Wednesday, but uh, the coaches probably won't let him. He'll probably be back on Thursday. I chatted with Alan Bradford briefly, and he was all in high spirits, so – I wouldn't worry about the spirits of these guys. I think they're going to be coming back there. We'll see what kind of rotation they get into against Arizona. Well, we do have a lot of questions, Coach. Let's try to get to some of these. And a lot of them this week are really long. I mean, I got like these page-long paragraphs. Like every question could have been a whole show. So I'll try to get some brief versions of these. Um, John Patina had uh, (laughs) some pretty long ones, but I'll break it down to kind of two main points. One is he thinks there's way too many short short passing routes from from this offense he was puzzled at the asu game there was there wasn't a lot of intermediate routes uh all the pocket passes seems to be slants hitches and quick outs and things like that you know when they, they sprinted out i think they did a little bit more downfield stuff but just the drop back and throw it seemed to be a lot of that and wide receiver screens 
and he thought they ran too many of those. And he was actually thinking that, that Kiffin should let someone else call the plays because he thinks the head coach should be in charge of the whole team uh, on that side of the ball. What do you think about the, the concepts on offense and Kiffin calling the plays? Well, first of all, uh, you don't see many head coaches today with the responsibilities that you have being a head coach uh, being on one side of the ball. He's got his dad on the other side of the ball. He's completely in charge of the defense and so on. You really do, when you do call the plays, focus your whole interest to the offensive side of the football. And a lot of times the defensive players don't really get to know you and you don't really have a relationship with them. Very difficult, but he seems to focus completely on the offense. He doesn't get distracted at all during the football game, and and uh, he seems to want to do this, and if this is what his choices are, then he's got to do what's best for that football team. Maybe he feels he knows his offense more than or better and has a feel of what he wants to do with it, so that's why he does it. Uh, I can't uh, judge that because as a head football coach, I remember – I used to call the offense, and, and I called the defense at times. So depends where you feel you need the best or the most help and what you need to do to develop your team to be a winning program. As far as the passing game is concerned, I have to agree. I don't think you, th- uh, you challenge the receivers enough down the middle, post patterns, drag patterns deep, corner routes. Corner routes are almost impossible. If you start on a slant and you break to the outside, when, especially when a team is playing man or zones and so on, you're running away from the safeties with Woods and Johnson and so on. I don't think that we do or USC doesn't throw enough deep routes. If you saw the first play of the game, man, Woods was wide open. They weren't anticipating that play, and, and uh, Barkley just overshot him. But I think you've got to come back to that more often. I think you have a, a second. You've got to keep the secondary loose a little bit. You can't allow them to wear back and come to the line of scrimmage and try to hit you all the time. And the only way to do that with great receivers like they have is to go deep. I was talking, to a lot about throwing to your backs more. You've got to throw to your backs more, down the seams and down the middles and in the flats and put more stress on the middle of the field, especially with your tight end. I don't believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe the tight end has caught more than one or two passes the last two games. And, and, and I don't think you're stretching the field, and that doesn't allow, you know, they can, they can double-team your outside guys better because they're not worried about the middle of the field. So you've got to throw the ball in the middle of the field, and you do have to throw deep. And I agree with our uh, caller or the person that emailed you that question. You've got to really utilize the field. And what happens to... When you close the field down, like the field gets closed when you get down in the red zone, then you can't throw delayed routes because the defensive secondary doesn't have a lot of field to cover. When you threw that interception after the block punt, you tried to force the ball in there, really, you've got to be able to line up when it's first down and goal to goal and, and just run that football in there, get, get in two tight ends and get in a, bring your third tackle in and put him at a wing back or whatever and just run off tackle, put three backs in the backfield like Haveli, Bradford, and Tyler, and say, here we come. Run off tackle or break it to the outside. Stanford does that every time they get down there. They run that. We used to call it 20, 26. We call it breaker, 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 26, whenever I used to yell breaker, breaker. That, that, that group of players went in the field or on the field. So, you know, uh, I don't like to see – that happening and forcing the ball and closing the field down and, and throwing delayed play action routes. You know, and they, they actually struggled a little bit in the red zone. And I talked to uh, Clay Helton, the, the offensive, uh, the, the quarterback coach 
after practice yesterday, and he said as much. And that, that pass that he did have, he threw the terrible pass to Woods, and Barkley came out and told us yesterday that just he shouldn't have thrown that. He should have threw it away. There was a window. He threw it a little behind him, but that was a bad decision. Yeah, but then it shouldn't have been called either. No, that's let, true. Let me, let me protect Barkley a little bit. He's trying to make a big play, okay? And everybody says, Barkley, Barkley, he's inconsistent. He shouldn't throw it in there. Well, don't put him in that position. Put him in a position where he can be successful. Yeah, That's you can, you can run the ball and stuff. And then the touchdown pass he did throw to Tyler, Clay Helton told me that was like their their fifth option. Like that was uh, they just dumped it down. He looked, he went through his progressions, and he dumped it down to Tyler, and it actually scored a touchdown there. But you're right. I mean, there wasn't really a lot of you know uh, drop back, hit something intermediate w- without doing play action and booting and stuff. And that's a little harder to do once you get down there. You have no field. You have no yeah. field to work with because you're going towards the sideline and the re- receivers can't work anywhere. So, and all the defensive backs are going that way. So, so he tried to force it in there, and he shouldn't have. So I don't think the play should have been called like that, and I think he made a mistake by trying to force it in there. It was first down. It was first down. Yeah. We still have other downs. You after, know what I mean? the, after the block punt, just it's, it's a terrible, terrible change in momentum there. But All right, well, let's, let's get to some more of these because we do have a bunch. Uh, Gerald has a question about Arizona. He said, Nebraska shut out Arizona last year in their bowl game, 33 nothing. I personally never watched the game. Is there any defensive strategies that we can gain from this game? Do the players, do we have the players to implement these kind of strategies? Uh, Nebraska did have Indomitian Sioux, obviously a, a dominating force in the middle of that defense. But what do you think about what Nebraska did, excuse me, to Arizona there? Well, I don't know what they played. I was completely surprised at the performance. In fact, I was very disappointed at Arizona's performance. They didn't represent themselves very well or the Pac-10 very well in that football game. They were completely dominated. I don't know what happened in the game, and I don't know what Nebraska did defensively, but I'm sure Wayne Kiffin and all of the staff have looked at all of the games over the past couple of years against the University of Arizona and see what other people do against them. All I do know is what Stanford did against them this past week was very simple. Just beat them. Don't beat yourself. And, uh, you know, uh, USC went up to Stanford and lost on the last play of the game. Arizona went up to Stanford and got crushed. They weren't in the game, okay? And so I think that it's not what you do or how fancy you get. It's that, it's that you execute. And I think one thing you have to realize, their offense is very balanced. They can run the football, and Foles can really throw the football well. In fact, he has one of the leading percentages of completions in the nation. I think he's thrown 71% of his passes have been complete. So they aren't on long passes, but they do execute well, and they do have ball control with their passing game and they will nickel-dime you down the field, and they do do screens, and they run draws, and they have a complete great offensive package. It's not that fancy, but they execute it real well. So, you know, number one, how do you beat them? You execute your offense. Your offense has got to really execute like it did against Arizona State. You're not going to get in a scoring race, you hope, but you might be in a scoring race. I was going to mention this earlier when we opened the show. Look around the country. The offenses have caught up with the defenses have moved ahead now. With the passing games, the Wildcat, and the extra back in the backfield, every score you see 67 points scored in the Michigan game. You see 47 in the TCU game. You see uh, 45 or whatever it was in the Boise State game. You see all of these high scores now around the country. You, you go down to scores and you watch college football, everybody's getting 20, 30 points a game. USC is scoring more points than they did last year. Yet so... 
you got to remember, offenses are going to get their share of points. Your offense just has to be able to play, too, and you can't have turnovers or you can't beat yourself. And I think that uh, you learn that as you go along. SC's got to keep it simple. They can't confuse themselves where somebody makes a big play against them. You can't allow big plays. The big plays change the momentum. And Tucson is a crazy place to play. You've got to take the crowd out of the game. And when you do that, if if the University of Arizona doesn't experience success and they get behind early, Stoops and his staff go crazy. They spend more time arguing among themselves and so on, and the players see this, and they lose really control of the game. So you really want to get ahead of Arizona so they start bickering on the sideline and, and everything works out better for you. That's a good point, Coach. Yeah, I think they tried to do that with Vontez Perfect a little bit against Arizona State. You know, you can poke him with a stick a few times, and he's, he's likely to explode. So maybe the Trojans will be able to do something similar to that to the Arizona Wildcats in Tucson there, get them a little – get some infighting going. Uh, okay, well, let's go to Ryan. He has a question um, you know, about the coaching. He's really disappointed with some of the coaching decisions that have been made. He made a lot of the same points you made about uh, Dylan Baxter and, and Mark Tyler in the beginning of the, the segment – but on defense, he's concerned about the defense and the blitz selection uh, near the end of the game. He said the corner blitzes were hitting Sharice Wright were getting there early. But then after a couple of those, ASU was adjusting. And for the rest of the game, they really only ran things like flanker screens and swing passes to the back out of the backfield and a dive play off a zone read look. He said they were giving up five yards on every swing pass and flanker screen towards the end there. And he kept seeing the corners and nickels blitzing. So most of their offense was just attacking those blitzing players. So he thought some of the, towards the end, the, the blitzes of the corners and stuff was kind of futile and just put them out of the play. So he, all, the, all three had to do was dump it right over the blitzing guys, and they were outnumbered in space. I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on, on that, the way the defensive play calling kind of went, especially down the stretch. Well, I tell you, you're exactly right. Uh, they, they, whenever they wanted to throw the swing pass, they got the swing pass, and they got more than five yards in most situations. I see them get, I saw them get ten yards, fifteen yards, and I kept saying, why did they, why don't they adjust to that? Why don't they adjust to that? And you know, you've got to mix up your stunts and blitzing. You've got to go to the inside too, because you always know where Street's going to be. I mean, he isn't going to run the football, okay? And you got to put a hit on him. He didn't like to get hit. If you noticed, he's he's a little gun-shy at the beginning anyway. Every time you knock him down, he comes back. And if you remember, he missed him a lot of passes. Guys were wide open, but he missed them. He was inconsistent in his passing game. There were some swing passes he missed, a couple of passes over the middle he missed. But he was anticipating getting hit. So you got to go after them, but again, you can't allow them to run a route over and over and over and over and be successful with it. And I think they would have probably should have gone to like what we call a cover two, and everybody understands that when they're going to run that, come up and disguise your man, play your man, but then go back to a cover two where that defensive back stays there, and if someone's coming in the flat, he comes up and makes a tackle, and the safeties rotate over and take the, uh, the receiver that's going down the field or if the receiver blocks, then it releases both of them. But uh, I think that, uh, yes, I agree with him 100%. You can't allow someone to have a play that they know anytime they need five yards or ten yards, they can call that play and it's going to be there. All right. Let's move on to Martin in Philadelphia, coming from the East Coast. 
even though he wasn't on the field, often versus ASU, Bryce Butler really had a nice game. And I agree with you, Martin. Um, obviously, with Robert Woods banged up a little bit, he got some more opportunities there. And uh, I think he made the most of them. Martin says he ran Chris Routes, got open, and made some nice grabs. Do you think you'll see him get some more reps during the rest of the season? And also, do you think that uh, we'll show some three receiver sets featuring him, Rojo, and Robert Woods this Saturday against Arizona? I believe that could be effective versus the Wildcats' shaky pass defense. What do you think? Now, uh, he said, who? what receiver did he say, Osbury? No, Bryce Butler. Bryce Butler came in and... Uh, oh, Bryce Butler's a heck of a player. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Uh, Osbury, too, uh, has been catching the ball well. Yeah, I think Os- uh, Osbury and Butler would start probably in any team in the Pac-10. I think they're really great receivers. Uh, USC is blessed with receivers. They really are. Will we or will SC use three receivers? I would think they should. I would think they don't utilize their tight end hardly at all. So I'd run a tight slot and utilize him as a tight end and spread the field more and use your receivers where you put more stress on the on the defense itself. They don't run many plays to the outside. They run the stretch play occasionally. They like to run off tackle. Uh, when you do that, you know, you can bring a tight end in the game or an H-back. They're really not a tight end offense. You could even play a tackle at tight end and get better blocking. And not, <laughs> then because, because I'm going to tell you, they don't throw to their tight end, okay? So it, it's not, and then put a back, let the tackle block up and let your back release and let your back go down and run in the middle of the field. Just switch assignments where you have a speedy guy going around running curls, hooks, seam routes, and so on. Because Ellison, they just don't utilize Ellison or Cameron or so on in their pass offense. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be great to stretch the field. They're all big, fast, good targets and so on. They can run slants, but they've got to do a lot of crossing routes. They've got to do more crossing routes. They've got to do more corner routes, post routes. They've got to really put a stress on the secondary of every team they play. And uh, I think that uh, if you remember in that game, they ran one draw. It really was a big play. I really liked that. It call. was effective, yeah. A, certainly effective. Yeah, right. It was very effective, and I'd like to see him run the draw more, and then put in a series of play-action pass off the draw, where you fake the draw, you come out and you hit the tight end. The tight end just runs away from the linebacker stepping up, and is wide open. You play catch with him. Otherwise, the linebackers, if they stay back, you run the draw. So there's a lot of ways of doing things simple and setting up things so they're successful. But yes, you can spread the field against uh, Arizona, and you can you can do a lot, a lot of different things. But I think you need to utilize. I agree, the third receiver somewhere in the offense. All right. Well, we definitely saw more of uh, Bryce Butler, and he he made the most of his opportunities with Robert Woods banged up a little bit. We'll see what what the rotation is now. But I think they do have confidence in all those guys. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Well, thanks for that question, Martin, and thank you, Coach, for uh, joining us yet again and and sharing your insights and. Uh, I guess we'll talk to you after the Arizona game, see what you think about that one and the battle in the desert. Well, I tell you what, I enjoy doing this with you, Ryan. It's great. And for all of our listeners out there that either write in or call in or whatever, we didn't get any calls this week, did we? No, we didn't have any calls this week. So, again, if you want to call, let me make sure I got the number right, 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail. We usually get one or two. Uh, first week, we got a bunch more than that. But we got a lot of email questions this week. So I think people wanted to uh, – write out their long answers as opposed to or write out their long questions as opposed to just you know speaking speaking for 30 seconds or so on the voicemail well i tell you it was great getting those questions and i tell you the trojans control their own destiny and what i mean by that every game's a bowl game this is now going down to arizona as i always say let's take the show on the road let's prove to everyone down there just who usc is 
and uh, the media down there make them believers, along with all the fans who watch the game on not only television, but also in the stands down there in Tucson. All right. Well, Coach, again, we appreciate it. And thanks to uh, Southern California Tickets, our sponsor for this segment. We're going to take a 30-second break and come back with Dan Weber from uscfootball.com talking more about the Trojan football team. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber from uscfootball.com joining us in this segment. Dan, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Not too bad. Looking forward to the next two weeks. Uh, Really, uh, the season, to to say the least, probably in the balance uh, when you think about uh, these two games on the road, uh, you know, both of them, man, I mean, you can make a case uh, uh, in, uh, in either direction uh, for either game uh, at Arizona and Oregon State. And it's really uh, an interesting time, I think, for the USC uh, football program. It certainly is, and we'll uh, we'll be covering it as always. And Dan will be there at all those games, and we'll have all the insights from practice. And we have a little special offer for everyone out there. If you want to you haven't subscribed to uscfootball.com before and you want to try it and get access to the war room every Friday and all the practice reports and all the inside scoop of what's been going on, just go to uscfootball.com and sign up and put in the promo code USC30. That's USC, the number three, the number zero, and we'll give you one month free. So you can try it for free. You don't have to pay anything and uh, try it out. Especially, this is a great time to do a free month because you got the last four games of the season. You kind of see what we do. Uh, at the games and at practices and stuff and check it all out. And, Dan, you always do a great job, so we appreciate all the insights you provide on uscfootball.com and on the Peristyle podcast as well. But if you want to get some of that even more inside stuff, check out what Dan has to write and everyone on the staff at uscfootball.com. And all the recruiting, because obviously there's going to be a lot of recruiting going on, but check it out. Again, the, the promo code is USC30 if you want a free month. And you can read our boy Dan Weber here. Thank you. I enjoy it. It's uh... We were talking to somebody who was in the press box last Friday or Saturday at the Arizona State game, trying to think of just somebody who hadn't been there before and was talking about USC football probably in the last year, you have gotten about five years' worth of news. (laughs) And not just on our side. We're talking about USC football in general. So much has happened. So many things. I mean, from you know the time uh, Pete Carroll left to Lane Kiffin came in to the whole you know spring ball and NCAA rulings and reactions and all the you know all the off the field stuff and then on the field stuff. Uh, you can't. I mean, I, I mean, I can't imagine a program that's had more. Uh, you know, if you go back to the last ten years, I mean, has there been a program that's generated more news? Uh, uh, you know, on a daily basis than the, than USC football. I mean, whatever you think, it's darned interesting. It's uh, and it's ch- ever changing, and uh, it's something. Uh, it's really uh, 
it's a special challenge actually to stay uh, stay on top of it because there's just so much that happens uh, all the time. So uh, yeah, I'll second uh, Ryan's offer there. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a, you know stay stay with us because there's always something going on. And I tell you what, the more you read, for example, the Paris style, the more you realize. We do have a lot of smart guys and gals and what have you reading uh, reading the Peristyle and offering their own opinions. I mean, you really do uh, learn a lot of you know ways of looking at things and a lot of input that we get from uh, from our members who really know what they're talking about and have have all kinds of different ways of looking at things and uh, and and we really appreciate all the contributions and uh, you know. It's it's sort of a collective intelligence uh, kind of a operation that uh, where people are all over the country, all over the world. Gosh, we got one two weeks ago. A guy uh, who's on the Peristyle never knew who he was. He was uh, had a new way. He was he lives. Uh, he's um, um, some kind of a financial analyst in Tokyo, and he had a different way of analyzing the. Uh, the penalties uh, that have happened for USC over the last decade, and uh, and he com- he did a- he had a way of comparing uh, the penalties with Pac-10 officials and penalties with uh, non-Pac-10 officials who called USC's bowl games, and it was really striking. It was about half of the half of the penalties uh, when you had a non-Pac-10 crew calling a USC bowl game. Than you did when you had a pack, you know, when you had Pac-10 crews calling Pac-10 games, and something nobody ever thought about. It was a completely different way of analyzing it, and it was just one more piece of information about, uh, you know, what was going on with the uh, with the penalties, for example. But it's that kind of stuff that you get from people that are just really out there thinking about this and uh, and offering uh, a new way to look at it. It's, uh, I'm, you know, I've read a lot of, uh, you know. Uh, university, a lot of schools, uh, a lot of uh, of their uh, uh, you know football sites, and you probably you know there may be some like Ohio State or Texas or whatever that have more people, but uh, you don't have any smarter people at all anywhere. I mean the the level of sophistication on the USC site is probably uh, uh, you know the highest that I've seen any anywhere, and I know we're sort of you know, tooting our own horn there, but it, it is true. It's okay. We read yeah. them every day. Guys really, really have interesting ways of looking at things. And what, what it tells you is we have a, you, you have a program at USC that's been very good for very long uh, and, and played everybody everywhere and kind of has a view of, uh, of the rest of the country that maybe other programs don't have. There's a sophistication about... Uh, you know, looking at uh, you know playing Big Ten and Big Twelve and SEC and what have you, and a lot of those places, if you go to big programs, they don't really have the familiarity, let's say, with uh, with the Pac-10 as say as a USC, you know, a guy that's been involved with USC over the years would have with the rest of the country. So, anyway, that's my. Uh, uh, non uh, that has nothing to do with this week, but it has everything to do with uh, uscfootball.com. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. If you don't know, the Peristyle is like our premium message board on uscfootball.com, so only for subscribers. So it's a great way you keep out most of the trolls, people from other programs. And it's, it is a great collection of USC football minds and former coaches and all kinds of 
all kinds of great insights. And a lot of people subscribe. You know, we think they subscribe because of our articles or our war rooms and things like that. A lot of people subscribe because they love being on the Peristyle, and that's the only way to get on it. But uh, it's interesting. Well, Dan, we better get to some of these questions because we have a bunch. So I got to we'll try to, to I don't want to rush through these, but we'll try to get through them. Uh, Mark wants to know. Uh, he had a question for you specifically, Dan. ESPN and their broadcast on game day spoke about how it is during the month of November that champions are determined, and that's when the schedule gets tough. And he said, look at the SEC schedule from last weekend. Auburn at Chattanooga, Georgia versus Idaho State, Ole Miss versus Louisiana Lafayette, Kentucky versus Charleston Southern. Why isn't the strength of schedule a greater importance in determining the BCS polls? Well, because uh, then it would uh, mess up the SEC's uh, gaming of the system, which is <laughs> they figured out over the years that uh, they don't need the they don't need no stinking strength of schedule because they play the greatest football collection of schools in the history of uh, you know college football against one another. Now, of course, they only play some of the schools in the SEC, uh, and they avoid some of the schools in the SEC, and. They start off with the 4-0 and record every year, basically all those schools do, so that they're all ranked. And when they play one another, you you know, you know often have you know two ranked teams playing one another. The fact that neither one of them might be any good, eh, that doesn't matter because who knows? Because they I mean, haven't played kind of, anybody. Yeah, you look at the uh, three-loss Florida team, they're ranked right now. It's like, really? Is that, is that team deserve to be ranked? Do you see them play? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I mean... It, and I guess it's just driving Urban Meyer crazy uh, from what you know what we're hearing. And then, I mean, I, I just thought it was interesting. For example, what was it two years ago? Georgia came out to play uh, Arizona State. Not a very good Arizona State team. It was kind of a close game. Georgia was supposed to be real good. It's the first time Georgia had gone uh, played a game west of the Mississippi uh, since 1964. I mean, come on, you can't be a national program and never go. And, you know, the next thing, uh, I guess they, they um, then the new athletic director comes in, and I guess the first thing he did was cancel their other game. They had another game uh, in the Pac-10, and I'm not sure if it was Oregon or who it was, but he canceled that one. Uh, they, you know, I guarantee you, you know, after the, the way USC uh, – handled Auburn and Arkansas uh, in those four four games, uh, yes, he's not going to get any more Pac-10 teams coming out here. They just won't do it, and they keep talking about, oh, you get home so late when you fly back after a Saturday game because we lose those three hours or two hours, whichever it is, uh, in the uh, which, wherever they are in the SEC. Uh, and that's their excuse now is that it, it gets them home too late after the game. So they're, they're just not going to be able to play the Pac-10. And, and what they're doing is they're just trying to freeze out the Pac-10. That's been their their, uh, their theory all along. And uh, if they can do it, uh, they will. And uh, that's really a shame. But, uh, again, there's an, a great pickup by, uh, you know, the network that, that, you know, has the big contract with the SEC now, the ESPN, and, you know, talking about November and championships and then just conveniently fails to mention what the SEC schedule is to get November started. Uh, but the SEC has, has done a genius thing the way they only play eight games uh, in conference. So I don't know if people realize that, but by the Pac-10 playing nine or 12, or Pac-12 playing nine conference games, that guarantees uh, six more losses next year 
for the conference as a whole because they there's one more round of uh, you know teams playing one another. So that's a six and six record for the Pac-12 uh, next year. Whereas the SEC that week will probably go 12 and 0. So you add a 12 and 0 record to the SEC's overall record. You add six and six to the Pac-12s, and by definition, almost the SEC is going to be ranked uh, higher just based on cumulative records. And it's been a case of the they care about how they're ranked nationally. They care about making their teams look really good. And the Pac-12 uh, hasn't. And now one of the problems has been, I think, only USC was looking at BCS championships. I mean, Oregon every once in a while had a chance and got got shafted uh, when they were uh, when it, when they were up for it. But uh, um, uh, I think that you know we'll. Right now, the you know the Pac-12 is going to stay at the nine-game you know conference schedule, even though you know you've got teams like Oregon along with USC, and uh, you know we thought maybe Utah until last week they played TCU, and we wow. could probably take Utah Wallop. off that list. But, uh, <laughs> but at least there's if there are a couple or three teams in the Pac-12 that uh, you know are, are going to start to look to see. Uh, you know, that they could compete in the BCS every year. Maybe they can have two teams in the BCS. I mean, right now, the Pac-12's goal is how do we get, if we have a team with one loss and the SEC has a team with one loss, how can we make it so that our team is not always behind the SEC team with one loss? Well, that's not a very high goal, actually. Uh, you know, but that's their goal right now is just to maybe one team and, and, and get it treated almost equally with the SEC. Uh, maybe it'll, you know, in a few years they'll realize that, uh, I mean, there was a logic when there was a nine game, when there were 10 teams and they played a nine game round robin and everybody played everybody. Yeah. Now that there are 12 some, teams yeah. and they're divided, you know, they're in divisions. There's not the same logic that you need to play nine games. They're not all going to get to into uh, L.A. every year, uh, and maybe that will change over the years. But uh, right now, um, uh, you know, the Pac-12, I think, is really going to be trailing uh, uh, any conference that has just an eight-game round-robin uh, regular season schedule, and, and that certainly is the SEC. And they're not changing it because it works so well for them. Yeah. Now they can fill their stadiums. That's the difference. They can bring in a, a Chattanooga. If you brought Chattanooga into, you know, any any stadium in the Pac-10, other than in Oregon where you know they only seat 57,000, you're not going to fill it. Uh, Pac, you know, 12 fans are a little more sophisticated, uh, and they've probably got other things to do on Saturday. <laughs> if you're going to bring in Chattanooga, they're going to go somewhere else. You know. Whereas in uh, in Alabama or Tennessee or wherever, they're still going to the game. So they don't need to bring in, uh, you know, top opponents, and they're not going to. So but right. good catch. That's a really good observation about November and tough schedules and all the BS you hear on uh, TV. All right. Well, that's that's Mark. Thank you, Mark, for that question. Thanks, next, Mark. Next up is uh, Dash. I don't think we've had a question from Dash before. Uh, Wednesday show. 11-3, there was a question about pass defense. He doesn't believe USC has had a decent pass defense since Troy Polamalu and Matt Grudegood left. Um, he can't really differentiate between the different types of zone coverages that USC has used not only this year, but during the post-2004 
Pete Carroll era, and he watches a friend who played college football, and they continuously note that the strategy doesn't seem to change relative to down and distance. More specifically, if the team needs long yardage in an obvious passing situation, third and eight, USC never plays up and bumps press coverage and presses the receiver to disrupt the timing. The receiver winds up making the first down catch behind the sticks, and often there are two or three Trojans standing behind him watching him make the first down. Doesn't anyone connect with the coaching, with coaching the defense, talk about that buffer and how it must change relative to down and distance? He's never worried about third and short, but when watching USC third and long, he really can't look at the screen. This is what I kind of get your thoughts on that. (laughs) I guess we could say amen, you know, brother. uh, uh, You know, USC's handsome, you know, pretty good players, uh, uh, you know, pretty good guys in the secondary. I still remember conversation with Terrell Thomas, uh, you know, who's now starting for the Giants, and uh, he was saying all he hoped his senior year was that he got enough chances, like 10, uh, playing man-to-man press coverage where he could show the NFL that he could play it if he ever had to. You know, but he knew he wasn't going to get to play it, and he wasn't very happy about it, and mostly they're not. Uh, I know, for example, last week, Sharice uh, Wright was, was ecstatic that he was allowed to play more man than he had all year. And uh, but it, yeah, it's been it's been sort of a sore point that you know the bend don't break uh, uh, kind of became the you know the way to go completely with uh, with USC, and the problem was the offenses started changing and started taking advantage. Now you know people could say, well, look, you know Aaron Rodgers, if you remember that famous game where he completed 22 straight. Uh, against USC in that Cal game, and yet on the very last play of the game, he didn't make the play, and uh, USC uh, you know, won the game that probably really got him going, that Cal game at the Coliseum where the crowd was as loud as any of us have ever heard at the end. And uh, that was like vindication of you can compete 22 on us underneath, and we're still going to beat you. Well, unfortunately, it hasn't underneath for example we're going to play Arizona this week and you look at last year and they get down to the last couple of minutes and Arizona completes a, a deep ball you know over the you know uh, I guess that was uh, over the safety I guess uh, deep into the you know basically into the corner and uh, and beats USC so I mean I, what worries me more than anything I think at times is that not only do you get beat uh, underneath but when you get beat underneath and deep, uh, for example, uh, you know, it would have been nice to have enough of a cushion in the first play of Arizona State that you don't get beat deep for a 54-yard, you know, half pa- or a wide receiver reverse double pass. Uh, but they did. Uh, I think that's even more worrisome is the fact that uh, even though you're playing with a cushion, you're still getting beat deep as well. Uh, it's it's an issue. It's not been a, there's no we haven't answered it you know terribly well. There are guys that have you know been pretty talented you know cornerbacks, not great maybe great players, but some really you know some guys that are starting in the NFL right now who uh, you know play a lot of you know press coverage now, but we're not allowed to play press coverage you know when they were here very much. Uh, I don't know. I I wish you, I wish you could see more, and I wish you could see more. Uh, really good adjustments, like you say, on third and eight. USC has really been a bad, bad 
bad third down uh, team on third down uh, and you know third and long uh, defensive situation, and uh, it's been a constant issue. And um, you know what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> it's You're right. Been, it's uh, there's, there's nothing else to say. Thanks. A great question, Dash. We appreciate it. Hopefully, you send some more in. Uh, we got, we don't have much time, but I want to get this last one if we can. Uh, Dan, Joe wanted to know about the future of the quarterback position. Long gone are the days where a smooth transition where USC QB could redshirt, then become a backup, then become a starter. With Barkley around probably one more year, he assumes that Kessler and Whitaker are enrolling early to get a jump on the QB battle for the spot in 2012. He thinks it could get messy with Kessler, Whitaker, and Scroggins all competing for the position. If Scroggins, Scroggins wins, it could be successful. I mean, and if successful, would both Kessler and Wittick stay, or do you think one would leave? Or if Kessler and Wittick are named the starter, what does Jesse do? Um, so he just wanted to kind of think what what you think about that whole the future of the quarterback position there. Um, okay, the, let me say this: This is if we don't have this kind of interest and thought and question and worry. Probably uh, Ryan and I don't have uh, anything to do here. Uh, we're, we're probably out, you know, with like real jobs or something like that. However, um, I, I think that's the kind of thing that you just have to let play out. I mean, that's like nine steps removed from where we are right now. You know, I mean, I think Scroggins has come in and he's looked, in some ways, looked better than I expected him to look, and has shown me, you know, an arm that I was surprised. It showed me some feet that, that I, you know, that I was surprised. He's, you know, probably uh, uh, not that, uh, you know, hasn't played as much maybe in, in some ways, but uh, uh, I think it will be a three-way battle, and I think it's really going to be interesting, and I think you got three different kinds of uh, quarterbacks in a way. Uh, each have their own, you know, skill set, and it's, uh, I'm, I mean, I think it, to me, I look forward to that, uh, you know, and say this will be interesting, you know, how this how this plays out and what it means for USC, you know, the direction of, of USC football, and uh, let them let's let them go, let's have fun with this, and uh, this is the kind of competition that has to be a good thing. Now, it you know you can say it it could be messy, but uh, you know I think you know ultimately competition is a pretty good thing, and uh, if. Uh, you know, guys uh, want to come, you know, come and compete and, 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 and battle it out. That's great. I mean, for example, how many people would have predicted that, um, you know, Mitch Mustaine and the situation he's been in, as good as he is, and he really, I mean, I'm not sure that if he would have started any game that he's been here, that the outcome would have been any worse for USC than it was. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a kid that can play, and he can play for a lot of people. And he wanted to stay at USC, and he stayed at USC, and he still may well, you know, get a chance to play in the NFL, and it wouldn't surprise anybody. And, uh, you know, so we could have predicted a few years ago uh, that what was going to happen with uh, Mitch Mustaine if he didn't get a chance to play and all that, and we'd have been wrong. So uh, I think you might be a little bit ahead of yourself uh, on uh, on worrying about the messy situation in a three-way competition for quarterback. You know, one thing, Dan and Joe, that whoever those guys, all three of those guys, Wittick, Kessler, 
and Scroggins, I think all of them are going to be practice holding because if they understand if they can hold, even if they're not the starting quarterback, they could still throw some two point conversion passes for you know for <laughs> for two point. Conversion. That's a really good point because that really matters. I mean, you really do get some, and they want a quarterback to make that judgment call, and they want yeah, that's a very good point. And I think that actually really expands the ability of of two quarterbacks to really feel like they're part of the uh, they're part of the action. I think that's almost. We didn't even think about that when they started doing it at, at, at the very first, and then you realize, you know, this gives a really, uh, you know, a significant role for the second quarterback, and it it really gets him involved every single day in practice and and doing the things quarterbacks do, and uh, I think that's a, a kind of a genius move on on John Baxter's part and and Lane realizing that that's the way to go. That's a very good point, uh, an excellent point, and it I think it keeps the guy much more ready. Uh, to play if he has to step in at the at the quarterback role as well, but uh, but a very good point. So you basically you know are going to have two quarterbacks playing at USC. That's a really I think that's a that's a great thing that they do with the, with the two point extra point. Uh, now that we see how that develops over a year in terms of practice and and all the responsibilities that that guy has. Yeah, it seems to have been working a little bit better now. It kind of worked the way they wanted to against Arizona State. You don't need to pop it in every time, but you you see an opening, you take a chance. And it actually helps your momentum. You go up by eight instead of up by seven. It just seems to be mentally a little bit different for a team. And I think more teams are are doing it. More teams are thinking about it, and it's just one more uh, uh, thing somebody has to prepare for, and it's one more potential way of putting pressure on them. And... uh, and that's what teams like Oregon are doing. They're putting pressure on you uh, in every way they can. And uh, I think USC, you know, the competitive balance, I mean, uh, USC's putting pressure on you, you know, when you're punting. And they're putting pressure on you when you're kicking extra points. And, and those are things that, you know, they weren't doing, and now they are. And I think those are added dimensions that we uh, uh, we see develop uh, over the season and how they're I mean, these guys are, are really working at this stuff. I mean, they, they do it quietly every day, but uh, when you talk to, let's say, T.J. McDonald about exactly what happened the other night, you know, uh, and how, I mean, he, Arizona State was bringing in different guys to try to block him, and he just said, you know, he's done it enough in practice that he knew he just had to make one little adjustment and he could still get there. You know, I mean, he just kept getting there. And, and beating them on the edge, and uh, that's the kind of you know confidence level you just uh, you love to see. And uh, so, uh, but I do think that the giving that quarterback, that second quarterback, added responsibilities on the uh, two point extra point, I think is a, is a it's a genius move. I, I really really like it. At, at, at first, we were all kind of looking at one another, thinking it was a a little bit of a you know a little goofy almost uh, <laughs> because they hadn't had enough time. To really do it and really understand it, but they do now, and I think it's they have a whole different uh, approach to it. They're very confident going out there now uh, that they'll make the right call and that they know they know better what they're doing than the defensive team that's trying to stop them. And that's obvious now at this point. They're much more uh, you know confident and aware uh, because they do it all the time. And the defensive team that you know that's out there only does it some of the time. And uh, and that you know again that's the that's the theory of what Oregon's doing this year. They do it all the time, and every day in practice and in every game. And you're only getting a chance to do it that one week, and it's hard uh, when teams put you under that kind of pressure. I think that's kind of 
where football is going, uh, it, you know, with teams trying to do things that they can do better than you can stop them. All right. Well, Dan, we appreciate all the insights as always, and we'll, uh, I hope you enjoy your trip out to the desert in Arizona, and we'll talk to you next week when you get back. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the Pac-10. You go to the desert one week, and then you go to the, you know, the, the great north, uh, west, uh, <laughs> and gosh knows what kind of uh, weather conditions you're going to see in uh, you know, Corvallis late on a Saturday. So uh, it'll be uh, it's an interesting uh, back-to-back uh, you know, travel situation and, and playing situation. Certainly is. All right, well, we appreciate it, Dan, and we'll talk to you next week. Everyone else? Back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez, get some updates on the USC football recruiting situation. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are joined in this segment by Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst. Going to talk to some about some recruits and a bunch of questions that you guys have sent in. Gerard, what's going on? Nothing much. Uh, recruiting analyst here to talk about recruits. It's a little bit uh, predictable, but I guess it's uh, what I'm all about. <laughs> Next week, you could talk about knitting or something. But for today, we're going to talk about recruits because that's your expertise. I know you like a lot of other things. If you guys have any guitar questions, you can definitely send those into Gerard. He knows a lot about that as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But sure. But first one's up from Evan. Uh, he wants to know, in years past, it seems like USC only recruited four- and five-star guys that were talented but might not be as aggressive or physical. And he thinks now USC looks like they're starting to recruit some of those guys, maybe not as highly ranked. But they are seem to be like more physical and aggressive. He thinks it's a good thing because you got teams like Stanford and Iowa, and you could even say Oregon that don't get a lot of four and five star recruits, but they win, which is the bottom line. Maybe get your thoughts on that. Maybe a, a little bit of a shift in the recruiting process. Well, I would agree that uh, in years past, I think USC sometimes got a little too enamored with just great athletes. Um, you can get a four or five star guy, but he may be more of a projected football player than an actual football player, a guy who's great in the combine circuit, who can run a fast 40, has a great vertical leap, uh, may have the size, but not necessarily a guy who's just very productive on the football field. And those are the guys that get overlooked a lot by a lot of schools that are good programs, that are winning programs, that have that ability to continually recruit big-time athletes across the country. I think Florida has fallen into that same trap. I think Alabama will fall into that same trap where you're recruiting guys who are just great athletes. They have that great-looking profile. They come to your camp. They run a great 40, and you start to project, oh, this kid's going to be able to do this once I just get him and I'm able to coach him up. And also, and we've talked about this before a little bit um, on the Peristyle and, and maybe even on the podcast, is that there's just, you know, a natural insecurity, I think, with coaches uh, to feel like, hey, you know what, I want to go out and I want to get the best players possible. I want to get a whole class of five-star guys. And 
not everybody can be a really a five-star guy for you, especially if you're putting all these guys in together. I think, you know, there are the best recruits and then are the best recruits for your program. And I think that's more what USC is doing right now. And honestly, I think some of the limitations with the sanctions and just the place USC's in, they're, they're coming back from a, a bad year. They kind of have to take a couple steps back. They have to go back to where they were closer to 2001, 2002 than where they were coming off of 2005, 2006. So you have to kind of take a step, couple steps back and, and start to look at evaluating players, going maybe more after local guys than they would normally, um, and trying to get those football players, guys that are physical and aggressive, a guy that is, is maybe like Charles Burks. Uh, who's not, you know, the biggest defensive end in the world. He's 6'1", 230, um, and, but plays that position and is very productive at that position. Now, we tend to project him more at a fullback position because I think that's really, I think that's a good place for him. I don't know if he's really going to be able to play defensive end. Um, but, again, he's a guy that's physical. He's a guy that's aggressive. He's a guy that's just a really good football player, and you want one of those guys for a position that's really just a football position, a position that you don't see a lot nationally anymore uh, with all these different spread offenses. So I think that's one kid that really stands out as a guy that's really that physical type, that guy that may have been overlooked uh, by the previous staff. All right, cool. Well, thank you for that one, Evan. Let's go to Kevin. And I do agree with you, by the way, Gerard. It, it does seem like there's going to be more football players kind of coming in, which I don't mind. I think you, it's a good mix if you get some five-star guys and some just football players that might be three-star guys. And I think part of the problem, too, is Pete Carroll, whenever he recruited a guy, automatically got bounced up a little bit. <laughs> so Yeah, there's a little bit of the chicken and the egg thing there when, when you're, you're a Florida, you're a USC, you're a Texas, and you start evaluating guys. And the minute you offer them a scholarship, sometimes everybody just figures, well, these guys know what they're talking about. They've got a great coaching staff. They've won this many games. They can't recruit three-star guys. So, yeah, sometimes that happens as well. All right, well, let's move on to Kevin, and he wants to know, how many defensive linemen do you expect uh, this to be signed in this class? Right now, I think there's three commits, plus you've got uh, Charles Burks, who could be a linebacker or a defensive end. Um, I think you're looking at five, maybe six. Um, I think the only way it would get to six defensive linemen is if USC was able to get one of those big fish out of state, a guy like uh, Tim Jernigan. Um, otherwise, I think you're really looking at four, probably five guys. I mean, right now you've got Jalen Grimble, who's a defensive end that really probably is going to play defensive tackle, um, a real raw, younger kid, big body. Um, you know, I almost wonder what he would do on the offensive line as a guard. Uh, there may be a little projection on him there. But he comes in uh, as a defensive lineman. Uh, Steve Dillon just committed. Uh, he's going to play probably strong side defensive end. But another guy that's a little bit of a tweener, a guy that I can see putting on a lot of weight and not necessarily losing a lot of speed. I think he and Grimble are the same that way. Uh, I, I, I would compare them um, just in that specific way to maybe a Kyle Moore uh, or a Sean Cody. Now, they're not as big and tall as those two players, but I think with Sean and Kyle Moore, they're both guys that can really put on weight. And, and they didn't lose a lot of speed. And, and some kids are just like that. Some kids, you know, they want to come to a program, they want to play defensive end, and then they start dropping pounds. And unfortunately, Kyle Moore was one of those guys. And I used to talk to Kyle, and I'd shake my head because he always, talked, he always wanted to be down at 240 so he could play defensive end and have more speed. But, you know, 
Kyle was never a guy that really got much faster. He could lose 10 pounds and not be that much faster, whereas he could gain 20 pounds and not be that much slower. And now you got him playing in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's really playing more 280, 285 right now, and he's still at the same speed as he does. So some players are able to actually put on a little bit of weight and well, not even put on a little bit of weight. They can put on 20 pounds and really maintain their quickness and their speed, whereas they can lose 10, 20 pounds, and they're really not going to get that much faster. So I think with Trimble and Dylan, you see they're, they're, those are the kind of players that they are. Uh, you also have Antoine Woods, uh, who's already committed, who's really a, a straight-up defensive tackle. He's going to probably play maybe more of a one-shade type play, um, you know, a position. Um, and then, as you said, with Burks, he's kind of a tweener, maybe a guy into playing fullback uh, and not even defense. So I mean, you've got those four right now. It's really probably more three, and I think USC is definitely the way they're recruiting and bringing in defensive linemen still. Uh, you're looking at at least two more guys. They probably want another genuine defensive tackle and maybe another defensive end, maybe more of a speed rush type defensive end. All right. Thanks for that one, Kevin. Uh, Next one is from Gerald for Gerard. A lot of people call you Gerald sometimes, but this is a different (laughs) Uh, it's about Lamar Dawson. He's actually moved up to number 54 in the new Rivals 100 and visited Oregon last month. He was supposed to come out and visit for the Virginia game, but I think that fell through. Any recent interest in USC for Lamar Dawson? Uh, yeah, he's still talking about USC. He's also visited uh, Kentucky a few times. I think he actually officially visited uh, not too long ago also. And it's, it's just a matter of trying to get him out. There's a possibility he comes out during the Notre Dame game. I think that's probably... Uh, a good spot for him. It's going to be another big weekend, another spot where you have a lot of different players uh, coming out that are going to be out-of-state players. I think I get the vibe that that's really kind of what's going to be going on for that weekend. Um, I'll actually give you a little bit of news. Um, Devontae Wilson, uh, 6'3", 235-pound defensive end from Corona, California, was scheduled to officially visit during the Notre Dame week. He's actually pushed his visit back to December, so he's not going to visit. Uh, David Garnett, is still scheduled to visit for the Notre Dame game. We'll see if he comes in for sure. Um, I've heard some rumblings that Aaron Douglas might be coming in uh, that weekend as well. So uh, it's probably going to be a little more of an out-of-state weekend. I think in-state kids, they're really going to use more for probably December, January. Not to say that Dawson couldn't come in at those points. It just sounds like that's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, all their committed guys have to, you know, still come in. Um, they, they still have to bring in uh, every every kid that's committed. Most of those kids are local at this point, uh, including uh, Kenturine, who's not local. They've got to bring in as well. So all that's kind of a December, January thing. You want to bring your guys who are already committed in a little later and make sure you seal the deal. You get the last word with them. Um, so Dawson, I would expect, probably Notre Dame. We're trying to get a hold of him, trying to confirm uh, exactly when he's coming in for sure. And for those who don't know, Dawson's a 6'2", 230-ish, I think, Gerard, a linebacker out of Kentucky, Danville, Kentucky. So He's a big, he's a big kid. He's, he's similar um, in in some ways to Anthony Wallace, who officially visited uh, two weeks ago from from Dallas Skyline High School. Who is about six one, probably two thirty five, two forty. He's a little stubbier. I wasn't really too impressed with him physically, uh, just his build. Uh, Dawson's a tad longer. He's got a little bit more range, um, and a lot of people really like him. They they thought that uh, you know at the at the combines and really the passing leagues that he went to, he played really well in space, and, and that's really the telltale sign of a good middle linebacker that's got guys already. You don't have to worry about you know necessarily bulking them up. Uh, it still has the feet and still has kind of the awareness to play well in space, and that was kind of one of the things that uh, a few people said to me that you know he was really a good player in space and made some good plays in coverage. 
All right, let's go to Ryan and Sun Valley wants to know uh, about the two commits, uh, the new, two recent commits, defensive end Steve Dillon, who uh, you broke on the on USCFootball.com the other day, Gerard, and punter Chris Alvarado, the, uh, the punter out of the SEC country that, that USC got uh, commitments from recently. What do you think about those two guys? Well, as we uh, talked about a little bit on our live Ustream uh, show last week, uh, that, that commitment actually broke just as we were going on air. Uh, Chris Alvarado, one of the nation's best punters from Lake Charles, Louisiana. I don't know anything about punters. I just admit that I see punters, <laughs> and I, they either kick the ball far and high or they don't. And that's pretty much what Chris Alvarado does. He kicks the ball far and high. And uh, interesting that USC would go into, uh, you know, Tiger country to, to, to pluck him out of Louisiana, of all places, uh, to get a punter. That in itself is just kind of interesting and intriguing. And obviously with the two kickers that they have in this class, including uh, um, a long snapper, you have to kind of think that this is um, this is a year that they're taking a lot of kids. I you don't think that they're going to be only on 15 scholarships when you're taking uh, two kickers and, and a long snapper and two quarterbacks. And uh, Chris Alvarado will not be an early enrollee. According to him, uh, his school does not allow it. So that's uh, that was intriguing uh, with that commitment in and of itself. And then Steve Dillon, uh, we had broke uh, Monday, uh, where he actually committed uh, a few weeks ago, actually at the Washington game um, after the game. You know, he talked to the coaches and, and basically made his verbal commitment there, but wanted to wait on it, wanted to think it over. And uh, the interesting news that comes from uh, his commitment is is that you know he was at the Arizona State game, went in the locker room afterwards with the other recruits, and there was another recruit that he committed to USC in the locker room and uh that commit was uh Shane or excuse me Sheldon Richardson um and uh, we've been trying to track down Sheldon Richardson here for the past few days trying to kind of confirm you know what happened what we were told by various people and um you know he's I think at this point not going to own up to that commitment I, I think he's pretty much uh probably got caught up in the in the emotion of things and and uh just you know wanted to to make a big splash and and told the whole team he was going to u s c but at this point he's not coming clean with that and we haven't been able to get him to say you know clearly either way, but he's kind of passing it off as just a rumor at this point uh but that event kind of inspired. Steve Dillon a little bit, you know, he thought about USC and, and why he liked USC and, and what are the schools he was looking at and why he liked those schools and, and I think he just felt comfortable with going ahead and, and he's he's pretty pretty good looking prospect. I mean he's a guy that's a, a flown under the radar a little bit. as I spoke before, he's a tweener defensive end, he's a big kid, got great size, great frame, um, probably playing about that two fifty range to almost about two fifty five right now. He's a kid that earlier in the year actually played running back. And, uh, and ran the ball a few times for his team. And you gotta think, you know, a kid who's in that 6'3, 250 range and he's playing running back, he's gotta be a pretty good athlete. And sure. he is. Um, <laughs> you know, how he fits in with USC, he, he prefers to play. Uh, defensive end, I think he's, he's really a strong side defensive end, um, but again, I, I think he's also a guy that could really easily put on weight. He could put on 20 pounds and play inside um, as a three technique just as well, so he's a very valuable type recruit because you really can put him in a few different places on the defensive line, and it's great to be able to have that rotation on the defensive line. And you see that with Armand Armstead, um, who, who's a, a great deal bigger, uh, but only bigger because he's, he's, he's a lot taller, um, but I think Steve 
you know, might actually even have a little more explosiveness from the defensive end position. So you're looking at a guy that's just naturally powerful, got great first step, very quick, quick good explosive burst, uh, very violent when he gets to the ball, um, just really a lot of good tangibles with him. And so uh, it's, it's a really good pickup for USC. I think it's one that they wanted to kind of get done for a while, and they're, and they're pushing, and, and uh, they're pretty happy now. He is going to still take official visits. Uh, with Chris Alvarado, I'm not really sure. He, knew, he didn't say anything about taking official visits. Um, but uh, Steve Dillon will. He's got one set for Utah in January. I believe that was January 9th. He's supposed to officially visit Utah, and he's going to actually go up to Cal in a couple weeks and visit there. So we'll see how that happens. I mean, uh, you know, you, like I said, with uh, Sheldon Richardson, uh, that was a commitment that kind of came and went like a fart in the wind, basically. Um, <laughs> we'll see if, if that happens with Steve Dillon. You know, I mean, uh, the recruiting process gets crazier and crazier every year, and I think that um, – the verbal commitment means less and less every year. And uh, so it, it really becomes, you know, a, a drag race in, in January. I think for a lot of schools with a lot of kids, you're going to have that base of commits that are solid, that are, you know, Trojans or Florida Gators or, or LSU Tigers or, you know, Oregon Ducks. Throughout the end, they just kind of grew up those type of players and they really wanted to go to those schools for various reasons. Um, and then you're going to have that fringe bunch of recruits and some of them are going to be very highly rated recruits some of them are going to be five-star guys that are going to go back and forth on their decisions um over and over again you know towards the end so uh we'll see we'll see what happens but um i mean with with dylan it's definitely a, a huge pickup and Alvarado, i mean you get a punter in the class and, and obviously uh that's, that's that's pretty important um you know i think uh um, Andre Idari, the kicker from uh, from Bakersfield, is really more of a kicker. Uh, so you know, you, you people say, well, you should be able to get a kicker that does both if you can offer him a scholarship. Well, you know, I think uh, John Baxter is uh, a pretty good special teams coach. We've seen that this year, and um, he's he's definitely. Uh, the drive behind getting special team players. So, you know, we'll see how it works out. We'll see if it improves the special teams at USC that much more in the future. Yeah, obviously it helps if you have a guy that can, if, if you, know, you see someone that kicks and punts and kicks off, it usually hurts, you know, you, you kind of hurt everything. So if you focus on one thing, usually you can excel at that a little bit better. So we'll see what that, and kicking and punting is pretty different. So, uh, you, Jared, you did mention the uh, live stream on Ustream we've been doing. I forgot, I haven't really mentioned this on the podcast yet. We're trying to get a, a, a weekly schedule like we do the podcast every Wednesday. We're going to do a, a live video show about an hour that will actually be live instead of taped like the podcast, even though we put it up pretty quickly. And you can see us and you can see uh, everything. So it'll be all on video on Ustream. Our Ustream channel is at ustream.tv, like television, slash USC football. So it's pretty easy to remember. And we're we're shooting for a show this Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific. So if you're around... You go to our Ustream channel, ustream.tv slash football. We'll also mention it on uscfootball.com. Check it out. It'll be a live show, and you can see the recorded version of it afterwards. But we just have guests on and talk about the team and talk about recruiting and stuff. It's a, it's a lot of fun and uh, adds the video aspect to it. So we're trying to expand a little bit. We do the podcast, which is all audio, and then we're going to do a video one as well. So I think you have fun with it, Gerard, when you go on, don't you? Uh, yeah, and it's, and it's still a work in progress. Um, yes. you know, I mean, it's one of those things that uh, – it's it's a it's a new technology in and of itself. I mean, Ustream hasn't been around for that much for that long, and how we're trying to utilize it is is, is really make a show out of it. And a lot of people don't do that. They just use a webcam. You know, they sit down in front of it and they talk and kind of go through the motions, and and that's fine. But we're trying to bring you know really 
some dynamic uh, camera angles and some some content in it that it really makes it valuable and and obviously having it you know be an interactive feature uh, even more interactive than the podcast if if our podcast folks out there uh, could kind of uh, envision just the podcast being live and being able to call in or, or or chat with questions immediately you know after a practice then that's kind of what we're we're looking at and and trying to you know develop it that way but again it's it's a work in progress so the technology and just you know us learning how to use that technology and learning how to kind of work out the kinks is it's still all kind of uh, unfolding a little bit so uh ryan is gun ho to uh yes. <laughs> to go to traditions and, and do it we'll see how it works out but um it, it should be exciting I, I think it's got a lot of potential yeah we're, we're working to do it at traditions actually this friday and then it'll probably be like a tuesday or wednesday night traditions is the campus bar restaurant it's really nice they just redid it when they they remodeled that whole tudor campus center it is absolutely beautiful inside. It's a great place, and uh, it's gonna be cool to have a venue where we could actually get live questions from a from an audience of people at the restaurant, and then also you could chat online and send in some questions as well. So it should be fun. Again, it's ustream.tv/uscfootball. Check out that page. We'll put the next event up, and then you can see where that is. And hopefully, we'll have a regular scheduled event. So it's every Tuesday night or Wednesday night or something. We're just gonna work that out with the venue. Uh, one last question, Gerard, before we let you go. Brian wants to know. New athletic complex being built. Do you think that ultimately it will give a boost to USC football recruiting? Oh, definitely will. Um, you know, it's you know facilities are a little overrated when you're talking about you know recruiting, um, but USC's facilities have been so decrepit for so many years, and when you're competing against Oregon and Oregon's winning. Um, you, you know, that's just one more reason for, for kids to go up there because they're wowed by the amount of facilities and, and everything kind of going on up there. And I think that USC is just, they've needed for a long time to be able to compete a little more in that, uh, in, in that field. The Coliseum, you know, is, 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 it's got great histor- historical, um, representation. And it's got uh, a, a lot of value, I think, for people that, that look at it that way. But kids are kids, and, and they don't really know the Coliseum from the Olympics. They don't know the Coliseum uh, from when it was built and, and all the games that are necessarily played at. Uh, obviously, the coaches are supposed to kind of give them a little bit of a background on that. And when they take their tours, it's like, you know, this is all the things that have happened in the Coliseum and all the players that have played in the Coliseum, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that when you get down to the nuts and bolts, if you look at the locker room, it's a joke. <laughs> if you look at some of the facilities, even for the fans in the Coliseum, it's a joke. And that, unfortunately, is kind of out of USC's hands. They're trying to upgrade those facilities and try to get things going in the right direction there. But, you know, you've got the city, you've got the state, you've got, uh, you know, the, the, the federal government. It seems like everybody's got a piece of the pie uh, with that exposition park, and it's hard to get things done there. Um, so at least with the on-field facilities, um, over across from Heritage Hall. I guess they're going to tear down the whole music, music building and basically have uh, an I guess there's going to be just an intramural field there. I don't know if that's going to be used for football or not, but there's going to be a field there. It'll be raised actually above street level from McClintock, and they're going to have a three-story athletic facility there and a huge weight room. And, and somebody pointed out, well, the weight room is going to be used by you know various different uh, uh, sports because it's going to actually be bigger than even Texas's weight room square uh, you know square foot wise. But the thing is, you know, basketball they do all their weight training and they do a lot of their workouts um, over uh, the game across in the Galen Center. Yeah, I think uh, a lot was, of them uh, built years ago. I think like volleyball so does truth, that too. Yeah. Yeah, it's truth be told, it's really more of a baseball um, track 
is the only other um, you know uh, sports that are really going to be using that. It's going to be pretty pro football, um, and, and I think you're going to see a lot of facilities like that. You know, you've been inside the coaches' offices. We've you know the varsity lounge and all of these different facilities that are there at Heritage Hall, the meeting rooms. I've, I've seen all that stuff, and it, it's really. It's really, really, really outdated. I mean, it's just uh, compared to some of the things you see now with uh, with Texas and, and, and Oklahoma State and uh, Ohio State and Oregon. Um, the, you know, these new facilities that have gone up for these teams. Um, a lot of them have actually been, you know, really more for aesthetic, aesthetics. I mean, they're they're really more for looks and and oh, we got a new trophy, we got to build a new trophy case room, and that kind of crap goes on. I mean, you kind of uh, Oklahoma did that, and it was it's it's nice and it's great, and the kids love it, but you know, it's just for looks. With USC, I mean, a lot of this stuff is is literally going to be um, it's it, it's very much uh, for use. I mean, it's it's not just for looks. It's improving uh, just the the facilities themselves from a from a practical standpoint, um, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't work around Heritage Hall anymore. Um, and, and I will definitely put in that I hope that they improve the meeting room uh, a lot. I hope we don't have to sit there with no internet <laughs> in the SID room because that's True. one of those uh, <laughs> that's one of those uh, facilities that that right now is for the sports that doesn't really work the way it should work. So I mean that kind of stuff. It's just bottom line. Uh, you know, the, the, the coaches have to work around it. They've been working around it for years. You know, hopefully they're, they're rewarded for the, um, you know, for all the, the hard work and, and the, what the football team has been able to do over the years and, uh, and build a really classy facility with, with, um, with all the trimmings. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's tough. There's a lot of really great things out there, but uh, maybe they go up to Seattle and look at the Seattle Seahawks uh, facilities and, and see what they've done and uh, go around the country and, and you know, kind of take some notes and, uh, you know, really, really, really do something nice. All right, cool. Hey, Gerard, I'm sorry. There was one thing I forgot to mention. DeAnthony Arnett is making an announcement later today. This is on Wednesday. So if you're listening to it this afternoon, it's going to be at 4 o'clock Pacific. Uh, maybe give some people some thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, DeAnthony Arnett, a six foot, 175 pound receiver uh, from Saginaw, Michigan, and uh, actually came out on an official visit uh, a couple weeks ago and really gave USC rave reviews. Um, you know, he's, he's, he sounds like he's pretty excited about USC. Now he's been doing some tweeting lately, where he's been putting out uh, uh, some mock uh, announcements on Twitter. Um, to each school, actually. He had one with uh, USC and Lane Kiffin. He had uh, one with Michigan, and where he said that, uh, you know, Michigan uh, had uh, the greatest quarterback in the world in Denard Robinson, and he couldn't wait to go to Michigan. And the funny thing about that Michigan uh, video is he actually started out the video wearing an Ohio State sweatshirt. So it's just a lot of uh, drama and playing it up and messing around with people who, who really want to know where he's going. Um, I, I can kind of give a little bit of uh, of some insight into uh, what's going on. I, I, I would say at this point, uh, I would think it would be down to USC and Tennessee. That's my vibe. Um, and we'll see kind of how it shakes out uh, tomorrow. And that's going to be uh, actually for uh, our time and seven uh, uh, Eastern time. Oh, is it, today, is it Wednesday or Thursday? That's Wednesday. Oh, so you said, I think you said tomorrow. It's today, though. Today, okay, excuse me. Yeah. Um, no, I get mixed up on the, on live and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, but but uh, but yeah, it's uh, but it's going to be uh, uh, today here a little later, and uh, we'll see kind of how uh, how it shakes out. But uh, that's 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 my my thoughts and on that uh, on on his choices right now. We'll we'll see if uh, uh, I have to make any predictions later on. 
All right. Well, that sounds great, Gerard. We, I think we set a record for our longest podcast. We're going on an hour and 20, but that's okay. This is a lot of good stuff. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Thank you very much for joining us, Gerard. Thank you for having me. All right. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hope you enjoyed the, our little extra long podcast. We'll talk to you after the Arizona game. Stay tuned. listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Pear Style Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.